Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. I'm joined by my partner, Ed Hunt, today. How you doing today, Ed? Pretty good, man. Looking forward to talking some football with you today. Hey, me too, brother, and uh, this is your host, Brendan Bolin. Sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. I was just so excited to get my friend in here. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today, my friend. We have some great topics, you know, just to make up for that shortened Thanksgiving version we had last week. Uh, we did have some great interviews, and those were amazing, but, you know, I, I like talking to you, Ed, and I'm excited to get back to it. We're going to just touch up on some uh, some Power 5 Conference Championship matchups, the unpredictable coaching moves that have happened in college football this week. Uh, we're going to hop over the NFL, talk about some of the Rams' struggles lately, and some more in-depth in talk about how wild this AFC is still. I mean, it's 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 just unreal to this point. So um, kicking off this Friday and Saturday, Ed, we have our conference championship matchups. And uh, we have some surprise matchups, and we have some that we were all expecting from, you know, the beginning of the college football season. But I want to start this one off with the Pac-12 championship, Ed, and that's between Oregon and Utah. I know these two teams met up not too long ago, and Utah was able to come away with the big victory, but I'm not so sure that this championship game is going to go the same way. What are you thinking, Ed? I, I, I think Oregon, I mean, I'm, I'm more on the Oregon bandwagon. I think they have just much more talent. I mean, you're talking about Thibodeau and, uh, you know, CJ Verdell and just more talent on their side of the ball. No, I agree with you, Ed, and that's that's why I have to take Oregon in this one. Uh, I think I agree with you know what the general public and general media says that Utah is the team that's you know playing better as a whole right now. Utah is clicking on all cylinders, and uh, I don't think there's many teams that are you know really really on the same page as Utah is, but. In this type of game, Oregon coming off of that big loss, it's really, really hard to beat a team as talented as Oregon twice in the same year, you know, let alone the same month span. So uh, I just think with the talent that Oregon has, and like you said, with uh, Thibodeau and just everybody else, I uh, I can't really see Utah pulling this out. The only way I see Utah winning this is their run game goes through Oregon. Like I said, it's just so hard to beat a team that this that's this talented two times in a year. Yeah, I, I think I think that the, 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 you do make a good point there. I mean, you know, that's billboard material. Like, we're not going to let Utah beat us again. And it's very hard to beat a team twice in a year. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, I mean, the fact is, is that Oregon is, you know, we're Oregon and we should be winning these games and we can recruit better. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I think, I think, you know, there's more expectations. And, uh, you know, I think Oregon is a team that expects to win the Pac-12. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that. I agree. Ed and I both got Oregon. I think they're going to come out swinging. They're not. They're going to go all gas, no breaks. They they are going to let Utah know that you know that that was a fluke. We're the better team. Um, Ed, let's hop over into the Big Twelve. This one we talked about not long ago, and we asked if Baylor had a chance to spoil the party. And guess what? They did it, Ed. They spoiled the party. They got in. Baylor versus Oklahoma State. Who you got for this one, Ed? Gosh, this is an interesting battle because, I mean, both of these teams, you know, beating Oklahoma was their big success. Um, I think one thing that's different is is that Oklahoma State has a better defense, right? I mean, uh, Oklahoma State is one of those teams that can play defense in the Big 12. So I, I think that's why I'm going to go with Oklahoma State in this game. 
Absolutely. I mean, Baylor may be the slightly better team scoring offensively consistently, but right now, you know, come championship time, come playoff time, when football really matters, I like to take my defenses. And the Cowboys have just had that really, really, really solid, consistent defense this year. Baylor has a really scary run game, but Oklahoma's front seven made it really, really difficult for um, Abraham Smith and Tristan Ebner. So I just, I don't know if Baylor is going to be able to rely on that, you know, consistent scoring offense again, like they have been able to. And I just, I think Oklahoma State's defense is going to come to play. The Cowboys are ready for this one. Alrighty, Ed. So, so we both got Oklahoma State on this one. We're on the same level. Let's hop over this one to the Big Ten. I, Ed, I have a feeling you and I made the same pi- the same pick for this one, as did probably ninety nine point nine percent of America, or everybody living outside of Iowa. Michigan versus Iowa. Ed, I think we we kind of know that everybody's taking Michigan for this one. But what do you have to say? Yeah, you know, though I'm, I'm not like. I'm not like I mean I, Michigan. I've been doing the show, and Michigan can be unpredictable. You know what I'm saying? Michigan can be unpredictable. I mean, Michigan is my pick for this game. Uh, you know, they are a hot team. This is a team that you know is a little bit of a Cinderella story, beating Ohio State. Um, but I, I, I just, in in my view, I think you have to go with Michigan. But I, I just, I, I would just say with this game, don't be surprised if there's an upset. Okay, I, and you know what, Ed? Uh, what you, Michigan is unpredictable. I like that you threw that in there because you know they come out here and they can you know put a, put a beating on on uh, on Ohio State, but at the same time, you know they're losing to Michigan State. So I, they they are a very unpredictable team. The only reason I have to just I really have to go with Michigan, and I would be really really surprised if there was an upset in this one. Is just you know Iowa's offense hasn't really done anything this year to prove to me that they can do you know, jack squat against that Michigan defense. I mean, that Michigan defense, all, all really Michigan has to do is find a way to score a few times because I don't think Iowa's going to, you know, go put up 20 plus points on this Michigan team. I really, really don't. I mean, with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabdo on that uh, defensive line, I really don't think that, you know, you're going to be able to, to have really any offense going. And Michigan's offense still outgains Iowa's uh, defense by 100 yards. And, you know, that's Iowa's defense is really good. That's not that's not discrediting Iowa's defense in any way. That's saying that Michigan, you know, they're balanced on both sides of the ball, yet that defense is just really, really good still. So if I'm Michigan, you know, just find a way to score. Feed Haskins, do what you have to do to get a few points on the board, and the defense will take care of the rest, in my opinion. Let's hop over to the ACC. Yeah, we got Pitt versus Wake Forest. And uh, this one, I think, is going to be a shootout, Ed. But before I give you my pick, who do you have? I think you can guess that I, uh, where my heart's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be with Pitt. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm actually going to go with Pitt in this game. I, I actually I think this is Kenny Pickett's game. I think this is a signature game. I think he goes out. I think his veteran presence is the difference in this game. I think he controls the clock. He controls the offense, and uh, he runs the offense. And uh, I think he he wins this game and on veteran leadership. I agree with you, Ed. I'm gonna have to take Pitt in this one as well. This one I think will be. Um, one of the two closest games that we have for any of the Power 5 Conference championships, though, just because these are two incredibly explosive offenses backed by very, very, very good quarterbacks. And you know, like you said, Kenny Pickett, is just he's been so good this season. And, you know, Sam Hartman is a rising star in himself. So I think this is going to be a shootout. The only reason I, I want to take Pitt over Wake Forest is, 
Kenny Pickett's just a little better at taking care of the football. Sam Hartman, you know, although he has the really big numbers, he's a little more careless with the ball, takes a few more chances than, you know, Kenny Pickett takes chances, but he takes smart chances. He takes, he, he doesn't put his team in a situation to have to dig themselves out of an ugly turnover. And in this high scoring game, the team that turns the ball over less is going to be the team that wins. And I think that's going to be Pitt. Ed, the one we've all been waiting for. It could, could go down as the game of the year. SEC Championship, Georgia versus Alabama. Who do you got? I, I think with Georgia and Alabama, I think I think you got to go with Alabama. Um, you know, Nick Saban in big games, experience. I think they're going to have the offensive power, firepower. I think they have the offense that can beat Georgia's defense. So I think this is the first loss for the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, Ed, all right. So this is the first one that we have different. And, you know, I, I 100%, I get where you're coming from. I don't disagree with you. You make some great points. But I just, gosh, I, I, I think I just want to see Bama lose so bad that I'm going with Georgia. But I really do think Georgia has the football team to beat Alabama. I just, I really think that this will be Georgia's biggest challenge offense, or defensively. I mean, they have not played anybody near Bryce Young's level this year. So that passing defense is going to have to step it up. You know, if, if I'm Georgia, I honestly, I want to give Stetson Bennett a chance to control this game because you can't really rely on the those, you know, dang near six yards of carry with your with your running back tandem. Bama has an incredibly good defensive line and, you know, they're, they're one of the top 10 run defenses in, in the nation. Uh, I really don't know if you can rely on that type of offense that's going to, you know, churn out six yard carries for you. And, you know, Stetson Bennett has greatly improved at taking care of the football you know he he was very careless with the ball last year and this year he's he's gotten so much better at it so I think him and Brock Bowers are going to have a good game you know you you have to have a good game from a huge game from Brock Bowers if you want a chance to win this because like I said I don't think George is going to have the opportunity to rely on that running game that helps him out so much so I just I think George's defense makes Bryce Young uncomfortable enough uh, I think Bryce Young doesn't have a horrible game, but I think they make him uncomfortable enough to make a few mistakes that gives Georgia the advantage. This this is a game that comes down to the fourth quarter, though, Ed. This is not going to be a blowout one way or another. This is going to be a very, very good football game. I understand Bryce Young's a first-year starter, but, I mean, you know, he's... Well, after you've played 12 games, you're not really a rookie, right? Like, that's what they say. You know, once you've played a season and you get into the playoffs, like, you're not really a rookie anymore, right? Right, yeah. And I you know, I I think Bryce Young is like I said, this is by far the biggest challenge they've had to that they've had to play at the quarterback position this year and um I really think Bryce Young if Bama, you know, has the opportunity to win, it's going to be with Bryce Young because you have to defeat that Georgia secondary somehow because you're not going to be running the ball on them. That defensive line is too good. So as a football I mean, I fan, know, I would I don't know, Alabama Alabama's got some some guys who who not only can beat Georgia but can beat guys on Sundays, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I just I I want I I don't want to discredit Georgia's defense in any way yet. And so with the with the game last week against Auburn, I get it. You, like you you made a great point saying that Nick Saban is just in these types of games, he's a different everything is to perfection. You know, it, it's pretty much to perfection every week, but this is another level. Like you you rarely ever see an Alabama team that's not perfect, you know? So I don't I don't expect to see the same Alabama we saw against Auburn last week. But if we do, I mean, I, I really think that you have to give Georgia this win. And, and you, you have to see a different Alabama because if, if you're getting the Alabama that, you know, played Auburn last week or that lost to Texas A&M, they don't have a chance to beat this team. But 
if they are in the Nick Saban mode that Nick Saban has brought every single year previously in the championship games and the playoffs, they have a chance. And like I said, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. You know, it just it just comes down to, you know, Georgia's defense versus Alabama's offense and what happens there. So that's the highlight of that game. Absolutely. Why don't why don't we hop over into the coaching madness of of college football? Normally this this kind of stuff it waits till the end of the year, but a lot of stuff just happened. We had Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma for USC. I didn't see it coming. I don't think you saw it coming, and I don't know how many other people saw it coming. What did this move mean? Why why did Lincoln Riley do this and how big of a hit is this for Oklahoma? Give me your thoughts on this, Ed. Well, I mean, it's more money, but I mean, the <laughs> This is this is a great opportunity for Lincoln Riley. I mean, the thing is is that it's very hard to to recruit defensive players to Oklahoma and to Norman, right? This is pretty much the 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 prime recruiting area of, you know, the West Coast. I mean, this is this is the school that should be getting all the top recruits and uh, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a lot easier to recruit, you know, California prospects, West Coast prospects. Even those Texas kids, right? Like, I mean, they may want to come to USC. I mean, you know, you know, you know that he's going to be able to have a national recruiting base. He's going to have the the favorite in California. You know, I mean, when you're a coach, you you want to always improve and improve and improve and improve. And I think this is just a better job with better opportunities, in the sense that I think there's more potential for the Trojans as as a recruiting base, as an academic institution. I think I think there's just more to offer at USC. Yeah, absolutely, Ed. And you know, uh, you almost have to think: could this be related to Oklahoma? You know, going to the SEC eventually. And Oklahoma has struggled against SEC teams. He's one and three. Uh, Oklahoma's one and three under Lincoln Riley. I also, you kind of kind of understand. You don't really want to go in a division where you're not your chances to compete on a national level kind of dwindle down once you move to the SEC. And like you said, with uh, going to USC, it helps so much with recruiting because having having Lincoln Riley, the offensive mastermind, going to USC where you have a lot more recruits available in that California area. I mean, that gives you an opportunity to build an offensive powerhouse in USC, and you know, bringing a great coach such as Lincoln Riley, to an already pretty destination, that just helps the bolster it even more. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see even more and more uh, prospects allured to go to um, USC for Lincoln Riley. And not to mention, I mean, this was a very, very pretty contract, Ed. I mean, he had two homes paid for, a $110 million contract, a $6 million home in LA paid for, and unlimited 24-7 use of a private jet for his family. Football coach or not, that's a, that's hard to turn down, man. That that is very very tough to turn down. And he said that you know he was he was very intrigued with a different and a unique opportunity, and he felt it was best for his family. So there's there's a lot of different situations that kind of work out for the best for Lincoln Riley. You know, at first I was like, wow, that was kind of crazy. But thinking about it, talking to you now, ta- uh, you know, looking more into depth on why this happened, what the reasoning was, it makes a lot of sense to me, Ed. I mean, this is a program that has a tradition and has a history, right? I mean, this is, this, you know, this is a team that's a rival of Notre Dame in some senses. You know, the USC-Notre Dame game is usually played towards the end of the year and usually kind of at night. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity in California, you know, to grow economically. There's there's a lot of, I mean, I, I think from a, from a, from a business standpoint, 
uh, you want you want to recruit these guys, and I think I think they really want to build a football mecca in LA, right? Like they want to build a, they want to build you know they got the you know they got the Chargers in LA, they got the San Diego, I mean um they got the LA Rams in LA, and now they they really want to build a football base because I mean USC was known as a college football, you know LA was like a college football town, and now I think. Um, now, now it's really just a football town. And I mean, it is the second biggest city in the, in, in the U S you know, it's always been a center of culture. And I think, uh, there's going to be a lot of stars going to USC. No, absolutely. Ed. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, having, having a very intriguing offensive, very talented offensive mind, that's, you know, not even, not even what, 38 years old, he's going to be there for a long time to come. And I think, I think it's a great first step for getting USC back to the top of college football. Crazy enough, Lincoln Riley was not the only crazy move that happened this year, or th- this this week, excuse me. Brian Kelly to LSU, leaves Notre Dame, takes a job at LSU. I mean, this this one is more surprising uh, than Lincoln Riley, some may say, just because, you know, the, the comments Brian Kelly made just, uh, what, two weeks ago, saying pretty much that he would never leave uh, Notre Dame unless he had that a $250 million check from the fairy godmother, something or another. Don't quote me on that, but said something about how he's not leaving Notre Dame unless he gets a very pretty penny. And guess what? He got the pretty penny. And I, uh, I, I honestly think that money, money, money was a big part of why he took this LSU job. I think there's a few other considerations that go into this, but Ed, why do you think that Brian Kelly took this job at LSU? I mean, more money, more more opportunity. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that LSU is a hotbed. Uh, you know, I think I think it has like the densest of any state of football prospects. So um, there's there's plenty of opportunity to find players in state. I mean, you can also recruit to Texas. You can recruit to Florida. You can recruit the South. So LSU LSU is a recruiting hotbed. Um, it's one of the you know, highest paying jobs. And I mean, they have high expectations in, in Baton Rouge. No, absolutely. And you know, I, I really think the, the fact that there are so many offensive prospects and, you know, Notre Dame has, has been a really a defensive team for a long time that I think he's excited to get a team that can go out and put 40 some points on a board. Uh, it's, it's gotta be, you know, kind of, kind of tough to have a defensive based team for a really long time and not have the ability to get these high-level offensive recruits like receivers and running backs and everything. And LSU, I mean, they're known for getting guys like that. And, you know, a, a quote from him, uh, from Brian Kelly said, I'm here because I wanted to coach the very best players in the country that are afforded the best resources in the country and play in the best conference in the country. He, he just, he wants to be challenged. He wants to be challenged. He wants to, I guess, grow his legacy as a football coach. And like I said, I guess Notre Dame doesn't have the offensive talent that um, LSU will be able to get in the recruiting field. So I just, how how hard is it going to be for him to go to the SEC with an LSU team that's coming off of a really tough season? Um, you don't necessarily know where they're going to be at next year. I mean, obviously they're going to be a, te- a competitive team just because of how good it, uh, recruiting it is at LSU and you're getting a great coach in Brian Kelly. It's, it's just going to be tough. It's not going to be a cakewalk, you know? Uh, I, I, I guess in the long run, you have a better shot at a national championship run, but it's just, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an easier road down in the, in the SEC, you know, it's, it, I guess it's a, it's a bigger challenge with a bigger reward. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think coaches look at it that way. I mean, I think they think they can win, right? Like I think, 
you know, when you're LSU, you think uh, not only not only are you gonna you know, in the SEC that you expect to win SEC and win national championships. That's kind of the mentality in Baton Rouge. I I honestly, I can't blame Brian Kelly for taking this job. You know, the only thing that, the fact that he said that to his players a couple weeks ago is like, I would be very frustrated if I was a Notre Dame player. And, you know, Brian Kelly's a great coach. You don't really want to lose a guy like that. And like I said, I, I can't blame him. You know, he makes more, now he makes more money than 26 NFL coaches. So, you know, it's kind of it's kind of in a way similar to the Lincoln Riley situation. You're getting a really pretty contract, and you get you get better recruits. You just you get an opportunity to kind of build a team that you want, I guess. And um, like I said, LSU gives an opportunity to build an offensive powerhouse, which he hasn't really ever had at Notre Dame. So, you know, and you know, while we're on the topic of Notre Dame, Ed, who the heck's taking over? Who's going to be that next head coach for Notre Dame? I honestly think it's going to be Luke Fickle. I mean, they're they're saying in Cincinnati, you know, give Luke Fickle whatever he wants, but they don't have what he wants. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that they're they're going to be in the Big Twelve, and he got him there. But uh, you know, <laughs> it, it he's he's on to bigger things, and I think I think Notre Dame is the next kind of stepping stone in that sort of growth uh, for Luke Fickle. Yeah, absolutely. I have two guys that I think have should really be the only two considerations and one of those is Luke Fickle you know obviously he's proven he's a winner and he has some connections with Notre Dame already you know defensive coordinator and the cornerbacks coach for uh Notre Dame both worked with uh Fickle in Cincinnati so I I think having that connection is going to be really big because if you bring Fickle in you don't have to get rid of those guys you don't have to get an entirely new coaching staff so that helps with that process it cleans it up makes it easier for you and you don't have to necessarily start from scratch again and just as a defensive coach I think he's I think he's a perfect fit for Notre Dame um the only other person I would you know even consider hiring over over Luke Fickle is a promotion actually and that's promoting Marcus Freeman to head coach I don't think there's anybody else that they should even consider that's not currently a head coach for this position, but Marcus Freeman has proven that he is a defensive mastermind. He's had his defenses raked in the top 25, you know, for, for the last four, four or five years or something like that. that. That's dating back to his time at Cincinnati. So he already has experience in this system. He already, you know, the team loves him. He, he knows what Notre Dame is about. And like I said, he's consistently proven that the, the dude knows what he's doing. I think he's good head coach material. Um, I honestly think that if, if you're not going to get Luke Fickle, this is really the only other person you should, should consider just because he, you know, he's, he in, encapsulates what Notre Dame's about. I feel like that hard nosed defensive football. I, I just, I, I think that he's the perfect fit. So I would, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I would be ecstatic with Luke Fickle and I would be really, really happy with Marcus Freeman. I th- I think that, uh, it's starting to be a pipeline. I mean, or it's going to be a pipeline. I mean, uh, Brian Kelly went from Cincinnati to Notre Dame. Luke Fickle could go from Cincinnati to Notre Dame. I mean, it's almost like if you become the Cincinnati coach, uh, that's your ticket to getting the Notre Dame. <laughs> right. So if you're if you're a high school coach in the Midwest, uh, try try to get the Cincinnati job uh, <laughs> so that you can get that Notre Dame job that you've always wanted. Let's uh, let's hop over to the NFL, Ed. It's just so weird this year, man. I mean, the teams that we at weeks one through five that we said, oh, these are these are our Super Bowl hits. A lot of them are struggling now. One team that kind of everybody at one point thought these guys are going to win it or they're at least going to be in the NFC Championship is the Rams. But the Rams haven't won a game since getting Von Miller and OBJ. 
I mean, Ed, are you concerned if you're a Rams fan right now? Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, they're they're still they're still in playoff contention, and I think they have the talent. I I, I think I think I think they're 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 just going through a slide, and you know we we've seen that with so many Super Bowl teams. No, absolutely. We've we've seen a lot of a lot of teams like, for example, the Chiefs. They're pulling themselves out of hole right now. But the only thing that you know kind of concerns me looking at this Rams team, like when you dive deeper into it, they have one win against a team with a winning record. One. They're one and four against teams with winning records. So that's you know that's somewhat concerning to me as as a Rams. If I was a Rams fan, and um, you know Matt Stafford's play the last three weeks, he's had a pick six. The last three weeks, three games in a row with the pick six, that hasn't been done since 2013. None other by Matt than by Matt Schaub. So it, it's been a long time since since somebody's done that. And, you know, just watching Matt Stafford play, he, he looks flustered. Like he's making a lot of ill-advised throws. And it, it, a lot of that is to do with, you know, the offensive line's not playing great. You don't have that running game that you kind of were expecting to be able to rely on to open up a play action. It's Things just aren't clicking for the Rams right now, and there's no denying that they are one of the most talented and should be one of the best teams in the league. But they're not clicking. It's as simple as that. And if if you have you have to be on the same page if you want to be a Super Bowl team. And so I think they're got they're lucky this week because um, you know Stafford right now he's in a slump. But you have a cakewalk coming up. It, it it should be a cakewalk versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. Take this game, get back into the groove of things establish your identity again, you know, play your best football and go out the next week and do it again. You know, Jacksonville is going to be a great game to recollect your thoughts, recollect what you're doing as a football team. What, what do you guys do? Like what, what's, what's different, you know? So figure, figure out your issues. This is a game that you very likely have, you know, just based off roster alone, you should win. Jacksonville's not a team that has proven to anybody. I mean, you know what? Jacksonville beat the Bills. So don't hold it against Jacksonville if, if for pulling this one out. But I just, I think that if the Rams pull it out, this is the week that they, you know, figure things out again. And I, I think that they have to if they want to be that dominant NFC team. If they don't, I think they scrape by. And I, I think they make the playoffs, but I think they scrape by and they're not going to be looked at as that dominant team. They need to beat the crap out of Jacksonville this week. I, I I don't I don't I don't worry about that. Um, you know, one thing though that I I do have to say is is that we have seen in sports many times where I mean we've seen the Yankees, we've seen with you know plenty of NBA teams is uh, you know you get loaded with talent right and you find out that in the locker room it just it isn't peace and harmony. It's like you know who's the boss, who's the you know, you don't have a clear leadership and, you know, that, that, that's, that's hurt so many teams. And, you know, is that, is that what could be happening in the Rams locker room? That's a great point, Ed, because like we, this team is just so beyond talented and we've seen it with other teams across the league, you know, like not saying like the Browns locker room was in a complete disaster, but with OBJ there and everything, there was a lot of concern and flustered people within that locker room and you kind of saw it on the field so maybe there's stuff that we don't necessarily know about in this Rams locker room that's kind of not putting guys on the same page and it's just it's it's crazy to me that you know you could bring in all this talent and struggle so bad so I, I think that does nothing but prove that there's guys not on the same page because obviously it's not lack of talent but you know I mean just you're telling me that last week you had Von Miller Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd on the defensive line and you can get one sack against a beat up, I mean, beat up Packers de- uh, offensive line. That's just, 
something's, you know, something's not right there. Whether that's, you know, guys not playing for each other, whether that be a, you know, game plan issue, something's wrong. But, you know, like you said, these, these championship teams, they, they, a lot of times they get in these holes and it's just about finding how to pull yourself out. And, you know, I, that's why they traded three first rounders for Matt Stafford, Ed, right? Is to, is to get them out of these situations. If, if Matt Stafford's your guy, he needs to prove to you that he can get you out of this situation. Yeah, I mean, the, I think Aaron Donald and Matt Stafford, I mean, this, we're, we're calling on them to be the leaders of this team. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey, too. You know, they're calling they're calling these guys and saying, hey, you know, we, we need you. You know, we're too good. We're too good not to win, right? We're, we're too good to be 0-3. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what the Rams are made of. Yeah, absolutely. The leaders need to pick it up, but, you know, I, I expect them to still make it to the playoffs. You know, Ed, you know who else I'm expecting them to make it to the playoffs right now? That's the New England Patriots. Wow, dude. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's, what else to say other than wow. I don't think it's a stretch right now to say that as of right now, right now, the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. Am I crazy? I'm not saying, you know, in general, roster-wise, nah, 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 nah. right now, the New England Patriots are playing better football than anybody else in the AFC, and I don't think it's a debate. I think that might be true, and I, I think what it is is that it's they're coached right. I mean, one thing one thing we see we always see with Belichick teams is that uh, you know when it gets tough and uh, you know personnel matters less, uh, he you know he's always he's always there. And last year, you know things didn't go well with Cam Newton, um, but now that he has Mac Jones and he has his quarterback that fits you know Josh McDaniel's system, I think. I think that this Patriots team is going to be a juggernaut. I mean, this is why he's still coaching is to prove that he can do it without Tom Brady. And so I, I think, I think Bill really wants this championship. I think if there's any championship that Bill wants more than this, I, 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 doubt, I doubt there is a championship that he wants. I mean, this might be the championship where he finally goes, he, he's elated, you know, when he wins the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like, you might see an interview where he's ecstatic, right? Like, this is this is the first, you know, time we've seen that with him. Yeah, no, and if, if, if Belichick pulls this off, I mean, that, that kind of sparks the debate again. Okay, who was it, Belichick or Brady? But, um, you know, I think obviously they're, they're the goats in their own rights. But, you know, it just it, it, it makes me so mad that the Patriots are so good, Ed, because, OK, yeah, they have one down year in a pandemic year, whatever. Big whoop. And, and Cam Newton, who, you know, was horrible last week, unfortunately, was not good for the Patriots. So you were doing it with a really bad quarterback. It, it, the situation for you was awful last year. You know, you don't even you don't necessarily ha- like go look at the Patriots offensive roster. You wouldn't even put it top 15, you know, based on paper. And that's what's so frustrating. I'm like, Bill Belichick is so freaking good, Ed. It's so frustrating. And I can't believe the league let this guy get Mac Jones. I can't believe it. Mac Jones does everything right. As a rookie, I mean, he can complete passes on every level of the field. He's a smart risk taker. He 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 is so calculated when he t- takes risks and takes big throws downfield. If that's not there, he takes what's available. He plays like a vet. You know, when you have Brett Favre calling you the carbon copy of Tom Brady, that's you're doing something right. I mean, these quarterbacks, they they know what goes into being a great quarterback. And obviously he's he sees this in Mac Jones. That is so scary to hear as as a 
as a fan that, you know, has a team in the AFC, I don't want the Patriots to be good again. And the problem is they're going to be dominant for years to come. They, I mean, both sides of the football, I don't think there's a team right now, Ed, that is clicking more on all cylinders than the New England Patriots because, I mean, like I said, look at that offensive roster. It's not impressive. It's simply not impressive to me. Um, yeah, you have, you know, Hunter Henry and John Smith, guys that have never really fully lived up to the potential. They have the name, but they don't have the, you know, the production. They, they I mean, dude, they beat my Browns by 40 points. They, they're running through everybody. And they, they've had the average, the highest points per game in this big win streak. It's, it's just unreal. Their game plan is perfect every week. Every game I've watched, they adjust to the other team's weakness and they expose it to the max. And, and don't forget everybody, Mac Jones barely lost to Tom, Tom Brady and the, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers earlier this year. And that, I think that game was one of the most impressive games I've seen from Mac Jones. So it, had they have gotten that win too, we're probably talking about the Patriots like they're, you know, even better than they are right now. I, I really think that the league is not still not giving the Patriots enough credit right now. One more thing before I keep rambling on. Um, you might have mentioned it a couple weeks ago, Ed, but I, I think there's a very strong argument that Matt Judon was the best free agency pickup for anybody in the NFL. Hands down, he's a top, you know, he's a top five edge rusher in the league right now. And he is, he has been a difference maker for that New England Patriots defense. I, I think what it is, is that this is the most do your job team that we've seen, right? Like he just, he, he found all these players that are prototypical for his scheme. And that's what he's doing with his team, right? There is no, there is no, this is the, this is the Patriot way. There is no superstar, right? There is no, uh, I, I'd say key player, right? Like, key, you know, key, you know, there's, there's no like superstar who's carrying the team, right? Like this is, this is the most do your job, uh, you know, who no, no weaknesses or, you know, very little weaknesses team. I mean, every team has weaknesses, but, uh, this is the, this is the only very little weaknesses team. And I think it is the most Patriots team ever, right? It's that's oh, that's uh, I love what you, this, this is, is the most, most this is the most do ever. your job team ever. Exactly, I lo- that's a great point, Ed. Because like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you're telling me that Nelson Aguilar is one of your number one rec- is one of your best receivers, Kendrick Bourne. It's just, it's it's literally guys that are doing no more than their job. That's that's it's just there's no other way to put it. They they're not stars. They're not slouches. It's just a guy that goes in there and does what he's asked to do, no more, no less, and they end up beating the hell out of people. It's just so beyond impressive to me, and this season alone, you know, regardless of all the, the other incredible seasons and Super Bowl wins and playoff wins and comeback victories, Bill Belichick is the GOAT, man, and once again, he's showing you why. It's just, I am so mad that the league let Mac Jones fall to the New England Patriots. <laughs> it's It's ridiculous, man, but... You know, before before I start crying about the Patriots and how they're gonna, you know, ruin my life for the next twenty years again, let's move and on. And also oh, every other AFC fan. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So let's get out of that topic that's gonna make me cry and go into this topic that's gonna make me cry. The Ravens got a crazy win over the Browns. I mean, I am. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, Ed. I'm getting a little tired talking about these Browns losses, man. I, I, I mean, hear you. I mean. I, I think what you really have to credit with this game is the is the Ravens defense. The Re- Ravens defense played great, but I, I mean, you know, I, and I have to defend someone else. I mean, Baker Mayfield is playing hurt, right? He's playing good hurt, but he's playing hurt. 
I, I appreciate you defending my quarterback head because I know a lot of Browns fans that won't even do that. But you, that that Ravens defense is absolutely unreal. And, you know, they, they made Baker uncomfortable. And once you're hurt and you can't necessarily, you know, they, they made a great point on the, on the broadcast. They were saying, you know, Baker Mayfield is a smaller quarterback and he is such an aggressive thrower, has a lot of torque in his hips, his back. Like he's using every part of his body when he throws the ball. Once you have a torn labrum, your ankles messed up, rib injuries, you just, you can't have that same throwing motion that you've had, you know, the last 15, 20 years of your life, you know, that you've been doing your whole life. So it's, he's had to adjust how he throws with the brace on his arm. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, oh, Baker had the best game. He, he struggled, man. He made, he had some throws that he missed and he just, he's not in a situation to play his best football, but this is also, Ed, I say it every week. Kevin Stefanski needs to get better with the play calling. It's, I mean, Ed, do you think it's excusable to have Nick Chubb carry the ball eight times in that football game? Do you know what that's, that says to me? Giving the ball to Nick Chubb eight times as a, as a head coach is saying, you guys beat me at the defense, in the trenches, in the run game, you defeated me. You, I am admitting defeat. I'm not going to give my top three running back the ball again. That's, that's what that is to me. I mean, Nick Chubb averages five yards a carry, and, and I get it. They were they were playing great early on. They have a super fast defensive line. They were closing the gaps. Those linebackers play hard, and they crash hard. But that's Nick Chubb is you know that's why he's so great. Is he breaks guys down like that? And it's not until the fourth quarter where he consistently breaks off these ten yard runs. I can't remember him getting more than two carries in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's that's inexcusable. I think one of the problems with this Browns team is is that the the tackle position they've had a lot of injuries. I agree, and you know, Conklin Conklin. Unfortunately, I I don't want to speculate, but there's a very you know big chance that his career's in jeopardy with that injury. You know, I'm I'm hoping that he has a super fast recovery and you know can make a strong return to the what, NFL. What was it? What was it? He it looked like an ACL tear. I mean, I saw it him was falling a on the torn ground. patilla tendon. Oh. Yeah, that's that is rough. A lot of people say that that's harder than an ACL ACL tear to come back from. So, um, it's just it's a huge hit for the Browns because, you know, I also uh, Blake Hans's replacement. I don't want to discredit Blake Hans because I really think Blake Hans is very 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 undervalued and underappreciated player on the Cleveland Browns because we've had a lot of injuries on the offensive line, whether it be for a week or two, and even even a possession or two. Blake Hans has came in and. You know, he hasn't been incredible, but he's done his job. He's done what you can expect. And, you know, he's played better than a lot of starting linemen that I've seen on other teams this year. So um, Blake Hans' ability to come in and, you know, do his job when called upon is really impressive. And he's impressed me 150,000 times more than Jedrick Wills. I don't think there's a player on offense that frustrates me more than Jedrick Wills because he, he still has not figured out the, the pass block game. He just he hasn't figured it out, Ed. And that's that's why the Browns have struggled so bad offensively this year is because last year they were number one in the league in uh, pass block run. They had the number one offensive line. Now we're exceptional in, in run blocking, but we are very bad in the pass block game. And when you have an injured quarterback and you can't pass block, those don't go hand in hand for a victory. I, I, I agree. And I mean, injuries are the problem for sure. Um, but I mean, you know, we have to give some credit to the Ravens. I mean... Not to Lamar Jackson, who threw four interceptions, but 
Um, you know, the Ravens the Ravens played great on defense. Um, you know, they stopped the run. Um, and and the Browns were the team that made the mental mistakes in that game. I agree. And, you know, I as critical as I am of my Browns when we lose, I have to give credit when it's due. And I, you can't play Lamar Jackson better than the Browns just played. I mean, you seriously, you got four interceptions off of him. You didn't get let them score into the 20 points. I mean, you cannot do more as a defense against Lamar. I mean, Miles Garrett was pressuring him every single last play. Jadavian Clowney had pressure on him every single last play. Secondary was exceptional. I mean, exceptional in man coverage. And Jeremiah Uusu-Koromoa proved why the Browns drafted him right there. And, I mean, he was he was just as advertised, you know, coming off of his injury. He, he did exactly what the Browns drafted him to do, and he contained Lamar. He crashed on Lamar. He didn't break down, oh, oh which way is Lamar going to go? No, he ran through Lamar. Like, this this team did such an exceptionally good job at containing Lamar Jackson. I, I can't be mad at the defense whatsoever. This was on the offense not being able to, you know, recuperate or, you know, generate anything off of those four takeaways that the Browns defense was able to prov- provide them with. So, Browns defense gets, I mean, they get an A-plus for this game. Browns offense, I'm giving them a D. And, you know, one one more person I wanted to point out, just because we were talking about defensive, uh, you know, the Ravens defense playing so well. Owe, ex- excuse me if I butcher his name, Owe, um, defensive end, for the rookie for the Ravens. That dude is absolutely unreal. And, you know, like I said, he was giving Jedrick, Real- Jedrick Wills a run for his money. It's, it's really, really impressive to me that, and I don't want to exaggerate too much, but Owe's first step is very reminiscent of Von Miller's. It is so freaking fast dude and that's somebody i want you guys to keep your eye on for you know if you're ever watching the ravens just look how how disruptive this rookie is and how fast his first step is it is really impressive and it makes me sick that the ravens are just so good at constantly drafting defensive players and we're probably gonna have to play this guy for the next five years you know let's get rid of judon and then draft his incredible replacement all right I just it's it's really impressive to me that how consistently the Ravens are at finding these incredibly good defensive linemen and Owe is an up and coming star in this league. Ed, let's hop over into the wild AFC West. I mean, it, you you think the AFC North is crazy, Ed? Take a look at this West. You have a three way tie in second place. Three teams are six and five. If and and the Chiefs on top at seven and four. What if if I told you that a team was in fourth place at six and five? You'd say I'm crazy. Like that's just unbelievable. You could take any of these teams and drop them into into a team in the NFC, with the exception of the NFC West, and they're at least second place in their division. It's just crazy how close and competitive that this AFC West is right now. I think I in in my opinion, I think the Chiefs are looking like they've kind of figured it out, got out of the slump. Offense is looking better. Defense is actually looking improved. So I think the Chiefs are going to find a way to hold on to this, uh, you know, one game gap and they're going to win it out. But I don't know how the rest of this is going to go, Ed. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, though, is, I mean, I'm not I'm not really giving up on the Chiefs. I, I actually think the Chiefs are uh, I, I, I see the Chiefs as the clear favorite. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to pick a favorite for this division. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the Chiefs stay with that one with that one game lead, and they probably win it by more than one. But you know, third, second, third, and fourth, these those are teams that have a legitimate chance to get in the wild card. And I think all these teams are going to be one game, you know, two games max of just missing the playoffs. And 
all of these teams have really, really tough schedules ahead of them. I mean, it's it's no cakewalk for any of them. Um, you know, Den- Denver has to go through the Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, and Chargers, and the Chiefs again. That's it's the only guaranteed victory I see in that is the Lions. Um, you know, I they play great football against the Chargers. I it's it's everybody has these divisional matchups um, at the back half of the season. So I really think whoever wins the division matchups gets in gets that uh you know wild card spot and you know with how den with how well denver played against the chargers last week i i kind of see denver you know i i really think denver is just very well built to beat the chargers play style and i think they're going to be able to do it again just because the chargers run game is so bad denver can run the ball they can you know be efficient in the completion percentage when passing the ball which helps with conversions and, you know, just keeping the ball out of the Chargers' hands is, you know, what you need to do. And I think Denver is built for that. So um, I think this, this, all right, Ed, this is my prediction right now. Chiefs, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers. That's it. That's it right there. What do you, what do you like about what the Broncos are doing recently? You know, honestly, since they got rid of Von Miller, I know all of their wins haven't necessarily been complete blowouts and this and that, but... I feel like defensively they they are on the same page in a way. Like just watching Denver, you can see a lot of con- like f- confusion in what's going on in the secondary. A lot of times, a lot of blown coverages, and um, I I think giving um, you know Pat Sertain more playing time the last few weeks. He's you know just came away with two interceptions and a pick six. And um, offensively, I think you're not asking Teddy Bridgewater to do. You're really not asking him to do anything. Like quite honestly, your 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 running game is clicking. Javante Williams is proving that you know he's eventually going to be a top running back in this league. And you have a guy by the name of Tim Patrick who consistently is one of the best receivers every week. And you know it's not that he's putting up a hundred plus yards every game, but every time that he's needed to bail Denver out on a third down situation, this and that, he's done it. And Denver has been really exceptional on conversions lately and scoring in the red zone. And, you know, that's what Denver has pride themselves on, you know, in the past is conversions and scoring when you're in scoring position. And they've done that lately. So I just, I can see, I see them continuing this trend. Where, where, where do you think Tim Patrick, do you consider him a number one receiver in the league, a number two receiver in the league? Where do you put him? So it's, it's just tough because, you know, if you look at his skill set. He doesn't necessarily have the skill set as a number one receiver, you know. I don't think he's a guy that's going to do everything you want to ask out of a number one receiver. So like, you know, like like a guy like, you know, it's this is kind of a hard comparison, but like Julio, you know, like Julio, you know, Prime Julio was the epitome of a number one wide receiver. And I think just his his skill set is somewhat limited in a way, but he just excels so far in his skill set like he's not a guy that's going to go get insane separation downfield and get you a 60 yard touchdown over the top but you know on third and seven you know with a guy draped around you he's going to come down with that football and I think that that makes him a very one of the best number two I'll say he's a one of the better number two receivers in the league I don't necessarily think he's a number one contract guy I it's in you know the production has been there over Sutton I think Sutton is the better wide receiver just you know I think he has more potential. I think he's equipped with the better skill set. But Tim Patrick just he just plays the game the right way. He just plays it the right way. And I, I think the only thing holding him back is his true, you know, genuine born skill set. But he just does everything right mentally. 
But Ed, it was a great time talking to you, my friend. I'm I'm glad that we were able to you know go over the craziness of college football, uh, the college football championships, and you know the coaching carousel going on in the in the in college football, and you know how crazy this AFC has been, man. I and uh, I I want to keep my eye on the Patriots. I, I I really as a as a football fan, I kind of hope that you know they figure this out just because it would be cool to see Belichick get another one without Brady, but. Um, as, as a Browns fan, I, I hope to God it doesn't happen. But, Ed, it's a, always a pleasure talking to you. And I wanted to thank everybody tuning in to this episode of Blitzcast. I can't wait to be back next week. So thank you so much, Ed.